0: Welcome to the Heart of Dad podcast. Heart of Dad is a podcast for entrepreneurs who are passionate about their families and business and looking to find more clarity, more balance, and more alignment in all areas of their life. Come and join the community at heartofdad.com or on Facebook at groups forward slash heart of dad. This week on Heart of Dad, I'm interviewing Billy Mann. Billy is a father, husband, entrepreneur, business owner, coach, blogger, soon-to-be author and all-round lover of life. He has spent all of his life in business in one form or another. He literally grew up in his family business, they lived over it, and has worked serving people in one form or another as far back as he can remember. People have always been his passion. As life has it, it took a life-changing event to see something new, And he spent the last 10 years dedicated to understanding what it really means to enjoy our lives, creating what it is that reflects our joy. Now, along with running a very successful salon with very happy staff, it's a very joyful place for them all to work. And he says, to helping others to find that sweet spot inside, he's busily creating a coaching business to help business owners discover what it means to really live and love their business and their staff. Having spent 27 years employing people, both as a freaked out, stressed out boss, to having a more productive and profitable business, Taught him that people always come first, and a great relationship with staff builds a great business. That comes from being a great boss, and that's not as tough as it may seem. So this week on Heart of Dad, I'm delighted to welcome Billy Mann to the conversation. Hi, Billy. Hi, Matt. Great to have you. How are you here. Doing? Right? I'm, I'm delighted to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm really well, thank
1: you. So, Billy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Well, I'm Billy Mann. Um... Like I put up in the bio, I'm a father, businessman, entrepreneur, writer, blogger, um, and many things. But I'm all one thing, I'm all just me. Um, uh, to give you history in the business aspect, of it, I've grown up in business all of my life. Like I said, in my family, we had a family business, grew up in debt. I've grown up in business and service of people all my life. And I stumbled across hairdressing 35 odd years ago. And... 30 years ago, I opened my own business and I've been trading since uh, as an employer, Steve learning curve along the way. Um, and in various times up and various times down, and you know, i uh, managed to make my way through two serious recessions and stay in business. And, um, I have three wonderful teenage kids, most of the time. Um, I have my daughter currently studying for her finals would be the A-Levels in the UK, it's the Leaving mm-hmm. start here uh, in Ireland, and I have two boys who are in their gap year, you, what you refer to as the gap year, it would be our transition year here, and uh, the boys are 16 she's 18, and it's an interesting time, they're big into sport. Um, I don't know, that it does, is that enough or is there more, to, do you want to know more? Or? That's a
0: great starting point, that's a great starting point, and um, yeah, I love I love already what you've shared. Um, so you've been in business for a long time, and I guess your kids would have been born uh, through that time and uh, grown up with you in business. And that's that's an interesting starting point for me because I think one of the conversations I'm having with dads, particularly dads who have businesses, is like, how do you how do you manage that the the kind of the arrival of children into your life and still managing to you know. Bring home the bacon, so to speak,
1: with, with your business? Truthfully, initially, badly. That's how I handled it. You know, um, I don't think anybody can prepare, uh, prepare you for the arrival of the child. In your life. <laughs> they just can't. You know, I mean, you can read all the books, you can be told by everybody, but there's something extraordinary about being handed your own child. It's it's quite a thing and then 18 months later to be handed two more you know it he turns into busy time um, so it took a while to find the equilibrium because one of the boys was a, wasn't was physically strong and had a lot of residual problems after birth with dietary issues and asthma And he's a, as they would say a sickly child when he was born he's a fine strapping boy now but uh, our man, young man, but at that stage, so, and I really was head, neck and heels in my own stuff at that time as well, Matthew. You know, things were not psychologically great. And, um, so it took time, it it, it it took time, it took time to find equilibrium, it took time to find that balance uh, again. Um, and I suppose having grown up in business, um, With the kind of parents that I had, particularly my mother, um, there was a real strong business first ethic in the family, whereas I'm married to a woman who has no commercial background whatsoever. She's a nurse and her parents uh, both worked in their lives, different jobs. So for them, it was the other way. It was the balance. It, It was family first. So it was a clash of cultures for a while, you know, when we arrived in. I have to work, and you have to do this, and you know, and this stuff went on. But in fairness to my wife, you know, um, she held the line, and she was right to hold the line. you know, because there were times I could work, you know, seven days a week, work long hours, I'd be late coming home, And I I imagined then, as time went by, Matthew, I started to get involved with the coaching and stuff like that, you know, just to start finding my own way back. I had therapy and I tried all different types of things. Um, But truth be known, Matthew, I was disconnected from my life around me because I was so busy looking for something to, to ease my own stuff. But, to fairness to my wife, she kept reminding me, you know, she'd tell me, there's matches tonight, make sure you're there, or the concerts, or what do you think of this. And she kept me in the conversation when I wasn't in the conversation. And I began to realize that this this was unhealthy. I was missing my kids as they were growing up. You know, um, and a woman many years ago told me something that, uh, Really, it's it's always stayed me. And it's that the fact we only borrow our kids from their life. We only borrowed our kids from their life. They're with us for a short space of time in their life. And if, if we raise them right, we raise them independent, we raise them strong, and we raise them to live their own life. So that part of their life is, that we have together is quite short in the grand span of things for both lives, both sets of lives. So I I began to realize that, that so much stuff was, um, so much stuff was was happening that I wasn't involved in. And if I was there, I wasn't there. My head was somewhere else. And I'm not quite sure what the moment was, to be truthfully honest. I suppose it's more organic than that. But I began to just, to just to shift my priorities a little bit. And I suppose I, I started to leave work at at work. When I was pulling out the door to business at 6 o'clock in the evening, unless I had to in the evening, I was leaving it behind me. And then I was coming home, and that period of time I didn't spend with the kids, whatever it was, and if I had something to do, then 9 or 9.30. Like that as we're younger, 8 30 when we were gone to bed. Then I'd pick back up and I'd finish what I had to do. But given that time in between was given to the kids, so I was making an effort and to come home and I realized that when my kids are going to bed early in a half an hour in the evening is really nothing. You know, I'm, I, 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 I'm like, Am I might have bet on dad, you know what I mean? I'm just there to put them to bed. No, it's important, don't get me wrong. Um, but I felt that I wasn't getting the quality, just for entirely for myself. Not just for my kids, but just for myself. I felt I wasn't getting the quality. And did my business fail? No. You know, i am much happier? Yes. And then the coaching kind of started as well. And then that became another hard jog. I started at that. So now I was running two businesses. <laughs> so back to stuff again. And how quickly it creeps back in. You know, the old habit creeps back in. And so I worked and worked and worked and worked. So when I wasn't hairdressing, uh, I was taking calls in the evening. Again, I was trying to, again, trying to balance everything. And then at the weekends and at Sundays and Mondays, and I would drop the kids off to school. I'd like, come home and I'd be working. And so I was giving myself no time to decompress even for myself. And then, lo and behold, the body failed January 12 months ago. Christmas 12 months ago, actually. And I spent the first week of December the, in the 18th in hospital and uh, as I came out it took me a number of months last year to convalesce and again back to the reminder of it you know um that it's so easy to fall back into the trap and quite quickly I realized well this is it No, I prioritize this part of my life for this and I prioritize this part of my life for my kids and there are times logically we can't make everything you know for whatever reason you know that that will happen it's just there are times you can't do everything but as much as i possibly can that's at the top of my list kids come first that's it that's a beautiful
0: story billy thank you for sharing it and um what i really heard in that is that uh Pretty much organically, you, you, you came to realize, you know, with some inputs from your wife and this person who, mm-hmm. who made this very profound statement about borrowing our kids for a part of their lives. That sort of brought you back to your senses in a way
1: mm-hmm. of,
0: of who you were, not just as a business owner, but also as a dad. Mm-hmm. And then later, as you started dabbling in coaching, maybe the um, shadow of working hard on that business started taking over a bit and led you to this health
1: scare that you had, and health issue? Well, what it led to me was parking everything last year. I parked it all. I stopped coaching everything. Mm. Just went to work. That was it. You know, I, I, I mean, could I do it the extra many times? Of course I could. You know, I've got teenage kids, you know, the, the, the drain is on, you know, all the time. But, you know, you gotta like i say is it about the money or is it about being with your kids you can have both there is no question about that but one shouldn't be at the expense of the other right right beautifully put so how how have you seen your
0: um, relationship with your children evolve over the years then we know with this kind of opening up of your own consciousness of how you want to parent and sharp as a dad
1: Okay, um, let me begin by saying this, matter. There are times I screw up. Okay. N- you know, I- and we need to be, be real around us. You know, there are times we get this wrong. Of course. And there are times, you know, that we get sucked into our own stuff and, you know, we're up in our heads. And I, usually when I'm working with clients, or, you know, or advising them or other coaches or maybe mentoring or whatever, I would always say to them, if you're working with somebody who tells you they've got all the answers, it's then or ever you need to move away. Because in my experience I have met nobody with all the answers. Hmm. So true. And so, allowing for that is allowing myself to see that I don't have all the answers. And there are times I fuck it up. I mm-hmm. just do, you know. Mm-hmm. And there are times that I get annoyed or I get upset myself, you know. But in general, the quality of my relationship with my teenagers is... is incomparable to the way it used to be in the sense that... Um, I I really enjoyed them growing up. Really enjoyed the humor of them and all that. And then I kind of missed the period up along. And then I kind of had to find my way back. And I tend to have a very open relationship with my kids now. A very honest relationship with my kids. And do they like to call me out stuff every now and then? They certainly do. And sometimes they're really, they are right. Like, oh, fuck, <laughs> you know what I mean? When, you know when I you know when I unleash the double standard of parenting.
0: <laughs> do as I say, not as I do, you know. Oh, but, yeah, no, that one
1: well. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all masters of that one every now <laughs> and day. But um, I found that they need to figure shit out for themselves, you know, as much as we all do. But it's my job to create the, uh, the safety net around that you know, as a parent, especially when they reach this age where we can have those conversations and myself and my wife sometimes I'm hit up about something and, you know, my wife says, you know, take a foot off the gas and vice versa. She gets wound up or stressed out about something and, uh, and she'll say to me, but you're not supporting it. but I would say, but I am, I'm just not supporting the way you want me to, you know, because sometimes she's she has got a one thing in her head, or I have one thing in my head, and we want to see it that way. And then we forget, the, but that's just how we see it. You know? And one of those valuable lessons, I suppose, I got myself as I started to fall into the principles and, and work through that particular, I love to use the word modality around this particular subject, but... If I am trying to figure myself out and if I am doing the best I can with what I have with the understanding I have in my life, so is everybody else, including my kids. Mm -hmm. Including my kids. And they have their own thoughts and they have their own feelings and they have their own wants and they have their own needs and their own desires and and all of that stuff. You know? And I see times, I, I see them flourish. You know, I see... I get glimpses of this extraordinary maturity in them, you know. Um, When you think they're not listening, I can assure you they're listening. You know, and sometimes you kind of get, oh, I didn't think they heard that one before, you you know, and they come back to you with it in the context of where they are themselves. And you kind of go, whoa, there's a mental celebration there, you know, they've heard that. I mean, recently we had... um, my son, Cormac, he's 16 and he started to go up to And it was a brief thing, but I, I suspect quite intense. He was mad about her. And we went to holidays the 2nd of January. And uh, so the, third, sorry, the 4th of January and the 3rd of January, she finished it. Before we went in holidays. Mm-hmm. So your man was, when I came in anyway, um, my man was heartbroken. You know, and that's fair enough. So he waited for me to come in, and we had a chat, and a bit of a cry, and we hugged it out. And you know, because I'm 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 very much a believer, in open option, openly affectionate to my children, and there is a reason for that, and I can explain that to you in a minute. But we had a, we we started to have a conversation just around how his heart, how he was heartbroken and the pain of it, and and. I didn't get all psychological on him or anything like that and we spoke about it and then um, I asked him why she broke up with him and she, he said to, she said to me that she didn't feel the same as he did about her. She didn't just feel the same about him. And I said, then I kind of went, well, you know, I have to admire that in her. And he says, what do you mean by that? And I said, that it takes a lot to be honest with yourself. And it takes a lot to be honest with yourself enough that you know that even if that other person is hurt in the long run, it's the right thing to do. And I said, no. I said I understand why you liked her so much because clearly this girl has got some integrity here. And she was willing, you know, to to say, look, come on, this isn't working. You know, in the sense that I I don't, you know, she really liked him, but she said, but I I just don't like it like you the way you as much as you like me. And I feel it wouldn't be fair of what's going on. Because I feel I'd be leading you on, which wouldn't be fair to you. And I was really impressed with that. Mm. You know? And so that's how we formed up the conversation. So I spoke about him. And I told him to be okay with being heartbroken. And I also said to him that, as a matter of fact, it's a really healthy sign to be able to, to, to know both love and heartache and be able to express both love and heartache. Which I said is a very healthy sign of maturity, I said. So I may not feel like it right now. I said, but getting your ass kicked, you know, is part of life. And be willing to get your ass kicked again. And again. And again. You know, because being open to love is very important. And and each time that this happens, you recognize that you will get through the heartache. You may hurt for a while. And then we, as, as as they went down, I went back and forth. Where I was just checking in and out with him, and then we spoke about how thoughts and feelings, and we got into that conversation about how they And A number of conversations we rolled on through the holidays and stuff, and then about two days before we were coming home, he said to me, "Dad, he says, you know the way. You said if I leave it alone, it goes away, and just let it be what it is." And I said, "Yeah," and he said, "How thoughts and feelings." will pass and if the thoughts pass, the feelings go with them and just allow them to settle. I said, yeah, he says, gotcha. Was it? Was yes. it? You know, and he mulled his way, he parted, because he, he, he come to me and i tell him, how are you feeling? He said, I'm feeling blue right now. And i said, "And, I, and I, oh, where are you up to? He said, look, I know, look, he says, it's part of being, the study, he says, I know at other times I'm going to miss her. And this, is, and this was the next part of it he said to me, he said, but why do I feel blue about this? And I said, well, I said, when your mind wanders into who you're missing and what you're missing, the feelings of loss come with it. So what you're feeling is that sense of loss around that you're, you, you miss the Lucy, and you miss the friends and the crack that you were having for a while. So that sense of loss, is coming with it, the feeling of loss, and that's perfectly normal, that's perfectly normal to feel that loss, be okay with it, and, and off he'd go, mm. you know, and we had these lovely conversations with it, yeah. and uh, it was really beautiful, mm. and, and in his own way, he'll internalise it, and he'll figure it out, and he'll come back, and I've had different events with my daughter like that, to boss, and, I, I'm kind of like the annoying dad to him at the moment, but in that phase at the moment, so I just keep my hands off it and let him alone. Yeah. Just yeah. letting him be. He knows where we are. I steal a moment of him every now and then when he's got out of stone. I tell him every day that I love him though. He doesn't get that excuse, you
0: know. <laughs> 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 nah, such a great story, but I love it um i think you touched on something very briefly before and we didn't we didn't go into it but i was just i wondered if it was related to what i wanted to ask you about which is your relationship with guilt as a dad because it's something for me that's been quite a tough one in in different domains partly in as a business owner but also just in in how i parent and i think you know you were saying we all we all screw up from time to time but i just wondered how how that's evolved for you over time you talked about the hard early days and then How things have evolved,
1: where you would feel. I'm actually nowhere with it, no, Mitchell, truthfully. Um, It doesn't feature anymore. It doesn't feature anymore, you know, Um, because it it just isn't part of it, you know, for me anymore. My kids are going to to find things about me they just don't like. You know, um, am I going to make mistakes at times I should have bit my tongue? Yeah, maybe I should have. You know, but... In relation to guilt, you know, guilt comes when you do nothing about it. Guilt comes when you do nothing about it. And... If I fuck it up, I do apologize to my kids. Yeah. If I get it wrong or and there are times that I would have got it really wrong or we've had a short match over something or whatever and I did not kinda go, whoa, whoa, wait a second. In my own mind. What's all the panic over? You know, you get in a sweat over something and suddenly it has to be this way and the, you know, and the thought becomes rigid and factual. And then the rest of the world must bend into that rigid, factual nature of your thought, mm. but it's not. <laughs> you know? And then he you finds yourself in a situation' where you're going, jeez, oh, I can't believe I got stuck in that. you know what I me?" Mean? And then just kind of going, "Do you know what guys I? am sorry." I'm sorry." And I'd say, "I'm sorry. Got that one wrong." And I, I that's all I can do. That's all I can do is apologise mm. for my own humanness.
0: I love that wisdom. That resonates massively for many other dance listening and, and feel quite liberating as well. I think it's just kind of owning who you are and your humanness.
1: I love that. We all screwed up. It's just the nature of how things can happen, you know? I, I, I Maybe uh, this might help, for, particularly for guys who have for kids who are transitioning into that teenage period of their life okay and one evening we were inside in the house one saturday evening, my wife was on nights and we kind of had arrived at a situation the guys are 12 13 you know and we're in around that area and tomas had has been for a shower upstairs in the landing, and Roisin is going, just refresh my mind on the story, and um Roisin is going for the shower. No, he said he wants to take out his towel to throw over the, the landing, so it would be dry, it would be airing away in the landing, and nothing would do anyway, Roisin said she'd bring it out herself when she was finished in the shower in the main bathroom, even though she has one on her own, she preferred prefer the big shower in the main bathroom upstairs, and she said that she'd bring out the towel, but nothing would do him any, he had a real bug about getting this towel out so you know, the way the shower was, he couldn't see anything anyway but he opened the door, reached in got the towel off the floor, brought it out and closed the door so you lady had a seizure above inside side of the shower that her brother would come into the bathroom while she was in the shower okay. we have no keys in the doors of our house we don't believe in it and so anyway, your man was standing in the landing and his sister was deciding in the shower. And I, of course, my, I started to give out. And then I covered. oh, it I was five minutes of moat at him anyway And I was kind of going to go, no, oh, this needs to stop in my own mind. Mm-hmm. So I said, when you're finished, I want you to come downstairs. And when your sister comes out, I want you to tell her to come downstairs too, And you come into the, the living room and we'll sit and we'll talk. So when we came into, the, I brought the kids into the living room, the, five, the four of us are tonics and my wife was on nights. And my daughter had a little bit of a slap at him and she gave out to him and whatever. And I said, look, okay, you are correct and I need to talk about this. This is why we're in. So I said, we, we have an issue here in the house. And it's an issue for myself and your mum as well. I said, we have been used to walking through our house and walking in and out of every room in this house because it's our house. And what we were in this house were two adults and three children. Now we're five adults. And this is an entirely new world for me and your mother. And we have to go up the stairs and knock on your door before we go into your room. Which is a difficult transition for people like yourself and my mother, who like myself and your mother who are used to doing this. So I said it becomes about boundaries and it becomes about respect. And if your room isn't your safe space for you, where where can you be safe in your world, regardless of who it is? So I said, for each of us, like there are five adults, and we must now learn to live together as adults, not just as two parents and three children. We now must learn to live together as five adults. That these are our rooms. These are, you know, that we can't walk in on top of each other, and we can't go into somebody else's room and take something on because it's... it's You ask for permission. It's as simple as that. And then, you know, if you respect that, in return, you also get the same respect back. And it's the same as going for a shower. That's the reason there are no keys on the the doors in this house. By the downstairs loop for the guests. But other than that, that's it. I said, and for all of us, we must now get used to having five adults in the house and build a relationship based on five adults and respecting each other's privacy. And if we respect each other's privacy, we'll get along really, really well. And it's as much a transition for your mother now as it is for you. We've never lived with three other adults in the house before. We are learning this too. I love that story. And, and it worked. Mm-hmm. No, no, Every now and then, like, yeah, one of them will wander in into the other room because somebody's nicked the charger from downstairs or something, mm-hmm. and you know, the mobile phone or whatever, and it's gone upstairs. And um, so, you'll have somebody wandering in, but there's hell to pay when that happens because they guard it religiously now. Mm-hmm. Their rooms are theirs, you know, and we also don't allow technology at night up there. Mm-hmm. No really? technology at night. Brilliant story. All, te- all technology comes downstairs to the, down to the kitchen. That's it. In the, you know, it's a non-runner story, not us. If it does, doesn't, the stuff goes into the car and it goes to field to work with me, and it stays there. That's it. They need to respect that. There has to be a safe space in their in their life. So much, I and mean, we grew up with it, Matthew. Yeah, we grew up prior to the internet. We grew up to prior to that. Deep access, you know. And where we, where when, when somebody rang you to, to, to bother you, they had to ring the house phone in the hall. Mm. You know, the phone it was a piece of furniture that was in the house. Right. So when you closed your front door, you were done from the rest of the world. You were safe in your cocoon. Now the world is in your life, and it's in your house, and it's in your bed. It's everywhere. It's ubiquitous, like you know. And it's an, it can be really intrusive. So at night, no technology individuals, end up. So that's a very, a very strong boundary you've set there. Yeah.
0: But I, I just want to switch tacks very slightly. and mean, we've been kind of touching on it now, but I was just wondering about how, you know, so I, I love what you were saying about guilt and how it doesn't play a role. It just, it's a prompt, you know, there's a prompt to, to make amends when things go wrong. Mm-hmm. But what about anger? Has that played a part in your, in your life, either in your business okay. or, in, or as a,
1: as a dad? Oh yeah, you know, I mean, that was one of the issues, but, you know, um, was whatever frustrated feelings that I would have about things you or where I would be with stuff and I found myself responding to situations and I look back on a couple of occasions, you know, and I, I remember apologising to my daughter for doing something really stupid as a father a number of years ago when she was quite young. When I look back then I'm kind of horrified now, but at the time it made sense because you know, and I was her father and she was a small child, you know what I mean? It was a stupid fucking response. But, like a couple of weeks ago, um, I'm out the back and uh, in the garage, cutting some timber. And uh, we've, had, we've had a saga getting our fiber broadband in. Eventually I had to dig the trench and do it all myself, deducting for them to eventually come in. But as part of that with the cuts, we, with the top trees and stuff and so there's a lot of timber in the garage so it had been stacking up there and I got up into going into the garage one even two weeks ago and I said right I gotta cut this timber or we'll start cutting it into small logs and whatever and so I had the chance and I have one of my guys outside Tomas and he's moaning and he's giving out he doesn't want to do it and, whatever. and then there's a rainfall, and I turn my back the man is gone he's gone now and I am properly fuming at this stage, you know? Because if he'd given me a solid half an hour 45 minutes, we would have had definitely two thirds of it done, you know? And the joy of, we will say, understanding how anger and stuff and all of these things play out is the fact that if no was then, I could have nearly followed him with the chainsaw, you know what I mean? I would have been so furious with him, you know? I mean, that's the understanding that kid right there is like, it's okay. It's, it's right and proper to get angry. Mm-hmm. It's right and proper to feel it. It's what you do it that causes the problem. Yeah, so true. It's what you do that causes the problem. And it was one of those things uh, that really resonated with me when I came across the bank's work early on. It took me a while to come to it, but it it, it always stayed me when he was being interviewed and somebody asked him, he said, what do you do? This this is an enlightened man. He said, what do you do when you get angry? And he says, I get angry. I get angry. You know, and that's the way it is. We're designed. It's part of the experience. Yeah. It's not just the happy stuff, you know, we get angry, we get upset, we get guilty, but the difference is when we understand how that that, that unfolds within us, we can see how easily we can be dictated to by it. Or we can accept it for the fact that there was a, and don't get me wrong, like when, I, when I was done outside and I came, out, came back in, I mean, I let him have a bit of it, like, you know, that it was lousy, but he didn't, you know, that I needed him for it. He said well, he was. He, so he was into all kinds of sagas. So I left it. I knew because I was only getting digging and digging the hole for myself again. So I cooked the dinner. My wife was working, so I cooked the dinner. And directly after dinner, myself, my um, the karma came out with me, and we finished up. what needed to be done outside. Just just the way it is. Didn't want to do it. Just had to accept it and move on.
0: and I, and I bet your inner world was so much more peaceful for that. You know, rather than ruminating or fuming or. Oh, yeah, stuff.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it, it does happen. Hmm. You know, um, this is the part, I, I think, where we go back to what I was saying a while ago about, you know, when I'm talking to other people or other clients or coaches or whatever, and I would say to them, if somebody has all the answers, they're lying to you. Because this is the moment where we don't have the answer. This is the moment where we're caught up in that. This is the moment where we're, you know, um, like we, it, it's, it's completely useless to say to somebody when they're angry, like they say, it's just your thinking. Because if we knew it was our thinking, it wouldn't be an issue. Right. If we knew it was, our, we don't. Because we're head, neck and heels in, 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 the, in, in the depth of the feeling and and, and the thoughts and, and, and how it sweeps us up. The difference is that rather than trying to moderate it and say, I shouldn't be thinking like this, I don't know, it's perfectly normal to think like this. It's perfectly normal to feel like this. It's when you do something about it that's when the problems really start. Because now it's starting to dictate your behavior. You know? Now you're able to do something stupid with the chainsaw you know, or throw a foot out or give him a cuff around the ear or yeah. or, or say something that would, would hurt more than, that would hurt more than even a cuff around the ear, that could leave a you know, a much deeper wound. That doesn't need to be left. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so wise.
0: I wanted to ask you, Billy, just sort of shifting tack a little bit about um, your relationship with your own father and and, and what impact. And that has had on you a bad and he was a business owner as well. How has that mm. shaped you for good or or
1: not so good in your life? Um I've often pondered this question. Um and I think in a lot of ways I'm very like him. You know, um, as time has gone by, I've realized that I am quite like him in a lot of ways. Um he was, there was something very kind about the man. He was very thoughtful about things. Um, he was, like me, useless at being angry. He couldn't get angry for so long about something and then just let it go. He was useless at it, you know. And um, just generally, you know, I suppose allowing for the times that we lived in, you know we're looking at 50 years ago now I'm 52 you know, so we're looking at say, the awareness of a parent and stuff how much would be half a century going on. I't want to say it that way, but so there were different times, okay but in general, my father and myself were quite close, you know, you know, as much as as much as at that time that would be because men didn't speak like that or it wouldn't open like that or whatever, and like I said, and, and I loop it back to that. And I said to you a while ago that there was a story around why I tell my children I love them. Mm-hmm. And this was perhaps the greatest lesson my father inadvertently taught me. And it was the last time I saw him alive. And I was moving to the UK to work in the UK. And as with all fellas gone to Ireland from Ireland, most of us got to drive over and went down the boat and went on to London that way. Because flights were very expensive at the time and whatever. And if you knew somebody that was, because people were back and forth all the time, you'd always get no spin over the boat like you'd be right. And friends of mine were going and they were picking me up at around 2 30, and we were making the morning sailing in Ross Lair. I was going off in the back of the van with the boys. And so I sent my parents to bed. They were under their late 60s. They said, You go out to bed. And when Eamon comes to pick me up, I'll go and make you up. So my dad was a terrible snorer, something else I would have heard from and every now and then my mother would have to give him the red card and move him to the spare bedroom because he would be quite epic. He'd wake the whole house, I'd say he'd wake the neighbours when he'd cut loose. So I went to my mom and I thought that I loved her and I'd ring her, and this was like, you know, I'll ring you tomorrow when I get over, or tomorrow evening, or first thing you know, when I arrive over, I'll ring you. You get me? And, uh, she said, fine, and look after yourself. I got the whole usual speech, you know, about, going, you know, mind yourself and go to Mass and do all the, the, the Irish Catholic boy stuff. And I said, fine, I will do all that. I mean, no water with no intentions and that whatsoever. Give something into, in, into the bedroom to my father to cure her. So I'm inside, and he's lying in the bed, and he's looking up at me. And he said, um, she said, you'll be good now, son. You know, and be respectful. And, you know, the usual pep talk. I even still find it quite emotional. But... He was holding my hand. And as I was leaving, you know, he was shaking my hand like, uh, in his grip, not as a handshake, but, uh, you know, holding my hand in his grip. And I looked at him for a second. And I, I just it just struck me. My, my father was telling me that he loves me. Hmm. And I said to your Daddy, I said, I know that. And I love you too. And he gave me two little shakes. He was—he was, you know from that generation of men who didn't tell their sons that they loved them alright and he was telling me that he loved me and that was the very last communication I had face to face with my father three months later he passed away suddenly a massive heart attack died 68 and I learned on, from that whole experience was this that if I have people in my life that mean that much to me I'm going to let them know that I love them and I've held that pat since twenty since I've been twenty three years of age, almost thirty years now. And all my closest friends all know it. Regularly, I, I, my best friend uh, that I meet every week. Every, I'd sort of even seen he comes back to the new locality to his house and whatever, and I meet him for coffee down at his house and we chat and catch up in weeks, ins and outs. And I have told to him on numerous occasions how much he means to me. So the fact never happens to me, you need to know just just that I love you you are like a brother to me, and that my life would be so empty without you wouldn't it. And I've told him this, and I would make no secret of it. And anybody that's in my life at that level will know that. I will make no secret of it. Because it's really important. It's such an amazing story.
0: Got and that's
1: the, I know, yeah, you know, I, every time I think about it, I, I think i just just oh, unbelievably fucking lucky I was just in that moment to recognise this man is telling me that he loves me my words were I know daddy I love you too mm-hmm. they were my last words to the man such a beautiful moment of wisdom coming through isn't it yeah. insight it's always working
0: I mean I'm wondering since you're telling this story Billy whether you'd be willing to share the story about your mum and the letter uh, that you've been yeah. sharing on, from Facebook because it's such an amazing are topic.
1: we Are we okay for time in this match are we alright yeah.
0: Yeah, we've we've got time.
1: Okay, I, I'm conscious of your of your time. But um, so my reaction with my mother was quite difficult. It was quite the other end of it. And in our house, my mother was the boss. You know, um, good woman. You know, um, hardworking. I know. You know, from, from all of that, and built they built a substantial business to it. And. I arrived into my mother's life and my father's life. My mother was in her mid forties and they were just finding stride. They were just starting to find us. You know, when I arrived into my family, it was just one building. But By the time I was in my teenage years, 10 years later, they owned the whole block and they built into the whole block at that stage. You know, and they were quite hard work. So I suppose, as time would go by and certain things would have happened, um, a bit of grit got stuck in my mother's relationship with me. You know, she did one or two things that, looking back, and at the time it didn't seem like I was a child, but at the time I felt rejected. But what I didn't realise was that at the time was my mother was actually doing her best to try and keep me safe, right? And again, we're talking about like the early 70s here, so we're talking like an entirely different, it's, No, to 70 50 years ago it's an entirely different universe when we were talking about kids and rearing kids and whatever and like things hadn't evolved in hundreds of years they were pretty much the same way even at that stage you know about uh, the parent beat the top of the tree period and children were to be seen and not heard and all the usual stuff and that but in general that wouldn't have been my parents that were quite supportive but it didn't matter i had developed that particular belief as a child now, we forget that it's very easy now, looking back at it, and the work that I have done, about this, Matthew, about the how we need to understand we were only five, six, seven, eight years of age. We developed these things, so we have only a very rudimentary understanding of life. And we're realising that we are a belief in. The grit gets stuck in the system, and then it starts to gather as time goes on and becomes a much bigger thing. Without ever realizing that most likely the substance of that great, you know, what started it was just a misunderstanding, through the eyes of a small child. Nothing else. So by the time I had reached my teenage years and I was going to boarding school, um, things were okay. You know what I mean? I suppose supposed was a bit rebellious or whatever. But then when I went to boarding school and I had my older brother there and he had to come home because my dad got unwell, and he never went back to finish his schooling, and literally the week that he left the guy started bullying me. And that led to two years of extraordinary violence. You know, being meted out in the morning, noon and night. You know, in any shape, way or form that he could. You know, it was continuous. And it was a traumatic couple of years. And then I wanted to leave boarding school and I wouldn't be left and, you know, and I suppose I got rebellious and I got angry and, and all that type of stuff. And it led to some bouncy times, and at 19, I had a very, a very low period in my life. And, you know, I, I had one or two long, dark nights of the soul in those times where I thought sincerely about taking my life because I just feel you I know, couldn't go on. And I suppose alcohol and drugs played a part in that, alcohol first and then drugs later on, or whatever. And, you know, and you can see no way when my kids arrived into my life that I was coming out of the end of that. And this was arriving, and so I was still all over the place trying to write things up. So my relationship with my mother was quite fractured at that stage. So fast forward on to it's approximately eight years ago now. Um, my mother was falling, and she we knew there was a problem with her, and she'd been in the hospital for the third time. So we had discovered anyway through diagnosis that she had vascular dementia. So as a family, and we all kind of nearer there thereabouts, we took a night each for my mother to care for her make cares in during the day so we do the night work and the weekend work but would have some so we could live and we could have our own lives and maybe our own family and sacrifice time to be with her and and, and do our best and, and and work from there but I remember sitting with her uh for the first couple of Thursday nights and at this stage I had I, I had been through psychotherapy I'd been through NLP I had all that worked on myself and I'd learned it as well and and then I had fallen across the principles and I was I remember sitting across from her and I was looking at her one evening. And there she was all wrapped up with as slow above a bug in front of the fire and her lovely little grey wool boots in her. And I went, oh my God, this woman has got clay feet. Don't ask me how, again how insights can make sense. And I began to realise my mother's humanity. Not just as my mother, but as a woman doing our best, if I, like I say to you about my kids, if this is another part of that, listen, if I'm doing my best, so is everybody else. It's not just about me, everybody's doing the same they can with what they got, or what they understand that they have. So I began to see my mother's life, I started to talk to my sisters about it, and, and I just started to inquire into her life, and the different events, and the landmarks in her life, and whatever. And... I, I, I imagine two of the hardest events in her life were, and I saw it playing out afterwards. I I, I understood what afterwards how it played out because I saw it when happened. My father died as well. Dad, I'm the second William in my family. I'm William Gerard. My brother was William Anthony, and my sister was married. and they were number two and number four. And they both died from cystic fibrosis. And it was in a time in Ireland where there was no mass for children. There was none for young babies like that. There was none of that. So my father had to bring home, on two different occasions, a deceased child in a white coffin on his lap with the undertaker and basically bury that child, with no ceremony, nothing. Just, I don't know if you can hear my daughter singing in the background going up the stairs. But, um, and they were profound, they had a profound effect on my mother. Because there was a woman who had a, with a very deep Catholic faith. And every time, I, I so by the time my sister Jordy came on, then Thomas and then me, my mother was at full tilt. She was literally the only thing, that, like I said, they, we got therapy, they got hard work. That was their therapy. They worked their way through it. And I saw it after my father died. In fairness, they were having a great retirement. They were going on holidays. They were enjoying themselves. Their mother was doing things she hadn't done, I'd say, since she was in her 20s. They were traveling to Rome and they were in holidays. Sorry about that. I didn't realize that. I I, I think we lost it just for a second, yeah. Sorry, I I didn't realize that. Um, But they, and then he died suddenly. And my mother threw herself back into work. Just literally threw herself back into work. So when I was starting to, uh, to see to this, I began to see my mother's coping strategy with her pain was to literally work her way through it. And that started to make a lot of sense to me. So I began to realize that it wasn't about me. It was about my mother trying to cope. Yeah. And so that led to me starting to see my mother as a woman with her own wants, needs, desires, thoughts, actions, behaviors. And when I look back as a child and I realize, well, oh, wait a second, I was a wayward five-year-old, six-year-old boy. <laughs> I mean, I was I, I'm trying to just take off. You know, she woke up the morning, like, and I'd be at 6 o'clock, and I'd be going up the door on my bicycle, and she wouldn't have known where I was gone to. Mm-hmm. And uh, one woman, her, her daughter has passed away many years ago. Her daughter lost a little client of mine. said to me one day, she said, yeah, Mrs. Roach, she said, you know what, the backyards of I be few raised jubilee, men?" Because I could be found anywhere, inside anybody's backyard. I was just that kind of kid. Right? So, my, obviously, my mother was worried about me at the time and trying to keep me safe and keeping me at you home know, required some more stringent parenting. And then I began to realise that that was actually what my mother was doing. She was so fucking terrified that something might happen to me. That I don't think she could have coped if something had happened to me. It would have broken her. So in a misguided sense, Matthew, she was protecting me. But it was never from any ill intent or lack of love. It just, she just didn't know what else to do. And she was terrified to guess something like that would happen. Nobody understanding clearly, because I could see how I could do that myself as a parent. So how hard is it to lose two children? But to almost lose the third one would be just I'd it's devastating for one. I can't imagine what it but what would it be like for three? I, you know, it would just I don't know, you know. Um, so I began to so I began to see all of that. And then so I started to really fall in love with my mother. To see what she had struggled to put herself through and, and all the different things. So by the time myself, and my mother, my mother passed, we were complete in our love. We were complete in our love. And it was, it, it was amazing, to be truthfully honest. You know, when, as I was growing up, I, I often thought, I'm going to be relieved and this woman is going to be dead and gone out of my life. It's just going to be a relief. The long, large, looming figure and shadow of my mother will be gone. From my life, you know. When my mother passed, I was actually relieved in the sense her suffering was over. That was it, because it was not to do with love, right? It was we were so completely in love at that stage and free with each other. And. This all fast forwards to last week, which is what you're talking about, and my sisters were going through her. Were going through her old stuff, going through boxes of stuff they hadn't gone through. It was her fourth anniversary, on Saturday the Friday on February eighth, and she was my sisters were wading through it, on what fell out of my mother's old papers except a letter written to me. No, she had to write that letter at least four to five years before we she passed because her writing was gone as well. She couldn't write. And so it was still in my mother's style, but wasn't quite as strong. But I knew it, so that means that she, before even I sat down to, to, to care for her, she already was in that frame of mind. And it, it leads me to this... Which is really important, and I want guys to hear this particular story. My mother worked 18 hours a day almost seven days a week. Okay. And that was my big problem with my mother. But my mother was so frantic that she didn't want us to experience other stuff that happened for her when she was younger. Even though she grew up in a wealthy family. Her father was a big farmer and stuff. Because she married a man who wasn't a farmer. She got no dowry or anything like that. So it was... You know, and so she was hard times for her and my dad when they started out, that type of stuff, you know, which was important culturally at that time. Mm. And so she always felt behind the curve of maybe not good enough and she didn't want that to happen to us. And so she was always trying to prove to herself that she was that she was worthy and capable and, and by the standards of hard work. Mm-hmm. All this kind of jumbled up misunderstanding. But when she wrote me that letter, Matthew, and I'm sorry, I I don't have it with me here. My wallet is outside. Um, It's on my, if anybody wants to read it, it's on my Facebook page, Billy Man. Just, it's open to the public. You're more than welcome to, to visit it. And essentially what she says to me is that in that letter, she realizes now that she should have spent more time with me. Please forgive me. You know, so what what it struck me was that she was telling me four years after her passing that she would heard me, mm. and that she knew, and before she evolved into the dementia she this was this was part of her clear thinking that she had worked too hard, she had missed so much, and she was asking for my forgiveness she never needed my forgiveness anyway. You know. Um it was forgiving herself perhaps would have been the would have been it. But it was deeply touching. It was deeply touching and it deeply reminded me of the fact that and it's like I said start started that post with like nobody you know uh I wish I had worked more hours said nobody ever would ever because it's true. Yes. And it's the living proof from a workaholic a woman who worked all those hours almost seven days a week to realise at the end of her life that she did work too hard that she missed so much and she realised it and she was asking my forgiveness and she never gave me the letter I think maybe perhaps she felt you know embarrassed by it or hurt or humiliated or how I take it, and she was probably right. I might have sneered at it. I might have—I don't know. Like I can't say it. But when I got the letter this time, I knew exactly what she was saying to me—that mm. she was at peace because I was completely at peace at that point. she left. I always refer to it as the silent conversations. We never had these conversations. But as it as it, as I began to understand and deepen my knowledge and my awareness for myself, I saw it in her too. 'cause what we see in ourselves we see in others. Yeah. All boats rise with the tide as well. All boats rise with the tide. Yeah. And it it, it was it was beautiful. Mm. It really, really was beautiful. And I you know, it it, it, it informs me, you know, when you have somebody who's that impactful in your life as a parent, that you know my gut instinct was always right. She was working too hard. Mm. But now I realise that you know, we, we all make the same mistake of judging somebody by their behavior. The behavior is only always ever downstream. The, the behavior is only ever going to inform you of of the errant thinking that's going on in somebody and what they're doing and what beliefs they have about trying to cope or trying to deal with things and right or go wrong. And they're doing their best to dissipate. We all are dissipate feelings that we don't want to have.
0: Yeah, yeah. Billy, this has been an amazing conversation and I'm so glad you shared those two stories at the end of with, about your dad and your mum. I think, I mean, they're so moving in themselves, but also I think they'll be incredibly enlightening for anybody listening, men and women, about relationships you know, with parents, with their children, with anybody in life, you know, because really what you're yeah. talking about is the essence of life, isn't it, which is love.
1: Yeah. If you got, you know, we're, we are that and we're of that. Mm. Yeah. You know, we're not, we're not looking for love. That's the mistake. We are that love.
0: We are know? love. What a perfect way to end. Um, if people want to find out more about you, you've mentioned your Facebook page. Where, where else can I find out about you? Our,
1: Billy, it's very simple. I just use Facebook and Billy Man Coaching if they want to email me at gmail.com. It's as simple as that. You know they can PM me. I, my my I, my my Facebook page is open. Uh, it's it's public, so people find me usually through that conduit. Or the email Billymancoaching at gmail dot com. It's as simple as that, Nigel. Fantastic.
0: Thank you so much, Billy. Um, my really pleasure. Look- I'm really honoured to have the opportunity to tell that story. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Thank you.